Gosh, I just went silent all of a sudden. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness that is at work among us today. Lord, we need you so much. Some of us are more aware of that than others, but we need you today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do what only you can do, that you'd speak to us where we can really understand it. Lord, I'm going to say some words, but you're going to say thousands of other words beyond that, and I'm counting on that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So have you ever watched Fear Factor? How many of you have watched Fear Factor? What do you think? Crazy. That's what I think, too. Couldn't do it. Putting bugs in your mouth and, you know, letting bees crawl all over you and all those nutsy things, I, that's not for me. I would just say I give up. I'm afraid right at the, right at the beginning. So what are you afraid of? You know, there's, uh, I'm a psychology major, so I kind of talked about phobias quite a bit, and gosh, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of phobias. One of them is the fear of getting peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. It's an actual fear. I think my dog has that fear, <laughs> the, way he, the way he eats that. Heights are not for me. So I want to show this video to you this morning, and this is this is over the Grand Canyon. It's, there you go. smiling about it. <laughs> Not this boy. I, I went up in the, in the uh, World Trade Center, the, the one that was knocked down. One of them, you go clear to the top, and they had this glass along one side of it where you could, where you could walk up and lean out like this and look down, and taxi cabs were about that big. I could do that because I felt like it was on solid ground, but that, no thank you. Heights are not for me. So let me ask you a question. Are you afraid of God? No. Some said yes. Some said no. Should we be afraid of God? Well, if you remember the old King James version of the Bible, it talked about the fear of God a lot. Uh, are you afraid of Jesus? Some people say yes. Some people say no. Uh, when I was a little boy growing up, and I would think about the second coming, uh, in those days there was a lot of talk about the rapture. I was afraid. I was terrified. So should we be afraid of Jesus? Well, I'm going to talk through a passage of Scripture, and then I'll read the very last portion of it. It's a familiar passage of Scripture where Peter, for the second time that we know of, 
encounters Jesus. Jesus is standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's talking to a large crowd of people. So you can imagine babies crying and cell phones going off and not quite that, but you can imagine a big crowd of people. He doesn't have a microphone, he's trying to teach and they, they are crowding, apparently crowding him toward the, the water. So he turns around, calls to Peter, who, whom he knows, he's a fisherman, he's a businessman, and he asks if he can use his boat. He gets in Peter's boat, he goes out a little ways from the shore, he starts teaching, finishes his talk of the day, and then he says to Peter, take me out, take me out in the lake. Let's go fishing. So fishing in that day, as most of you know, was a, a large net, circular net that had, had weights on it and it had corks on the outside part of it. Part of it would sink down in the water, part of it would stay on top of the water. They'd wait till it filled with fish and they'd pull this cord, trap the fish and bring them, bring them in. So Peter throws, he's been fishing all night, hasn't caught anything. And the time that you fish is at night, not in the daytime. You fish that way. But uh, he obeys what Jesus says. He goes out, throws out the net. Gets such a large haul of fish, he can't, bring, he can't bring them all in. So he signals his partners, James and John. They've got another boat. They come on out and they help him. And realizing that they had been fishing all night, had caught nothing, Jesus said, throw out the net. And they caught so many fish, they couldn't drag them all in. This was Peter's response to that. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that had, they had taken. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, and I have these words underlined, left everything and followed him. So, was Peter afraid? Yes, he was, because Jesus said, don't be afraid. <laughs> he was afraid. Jesus said, don't be afraid. He wasn't, it wasn't the kind of fear that we normally think about fear. If, if he was afraid of Jesus in the wrong way, would he have left everything and followed him? He might have out of fear, but it was more this kind of fear. There's a good kind of fear of God, and there's a bad kind of fear of God, and this kind of fear is astonishment, awe, wonder, reverence. So much so that he fell at Jesus' knees, fell down, Lord, get away from me. I am a sinful man. Now imagine what must have been happening there for him to fall on his knees or fall on his face before Jesus. So let's do a little, let's do a little experiment here. Mike and Sheila, would you come up here, please? I give them a bad time because they sit someplace different every time. All the rest of you sit in the same place. They always, I always have to look for them. And they're sitting in the back today, so they get to, they're trying to hide. Okay, that's right, exactly. Okay, now, uh, 
gosh. You like each other, I assume? You've been married, married a long time? Okay, look at each other. Gonna step back and look at each other. Now, Mike, uh, I want you to describe Sheila. Uh, she's amazing. She's amazing? Good job. <laughs> How amazing is she? How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Now, if you would take, take the time in a normal situation to describe Sheila, you'd say, gosh, I love her. She's amazing. We've been married a long time. I love her more now than I ever have. She's awesome. How would you describe Mike? Um, he's a good protector. Good protector and a good provider. A good dad. Good dad. Handsome dude, too. He's a handsome dude, yeah. So she'll look at me a second. Is there anything at all? Have you ever been tempted to fall on your knees in astonishment before before Mike? No. No. <laughs> I didn't think so. Okay, I'm done with you now. You can go sit down. <laughs> so what's my point? My point is... We love people, we can respect people, we can think the world of people, we can admire them, but uh, I'm not ever, I've never been tempted to fall on anybody's knees in awe and astonishment and reverence and worship. And I don't think you have either. So imagine what was happening to Peter when he fell at Jesus' feet. He was in awe. You will be one day too. There's something so amazing about Jesus and his work that if you really get a glimpse of that, you will fall in worship, in astonishment. So let me ask you this question. You can fill in the blank. Are you in awe of who Jesus is? Are you? I, I wonder because most people that I've observed, and, and I've observed this in my own life as well, we don't live like we're amazed at Jesus. He was so amazed at Jesus that it says he left everything and followed him. That's pretty amazed. In other words, Jesus could ask you to do anything, and you'd do it. He'd ask you to give up anything, and you'd give it up. That's the Jesus of the New Testament. He left everything and followed him. He was a successful businessman, and he walked away. James and John were successful businessmen. The, the scripture describes it a little bit differently with them. It says they left their father, and they left their nets. Is there anything in your life that comes before Jesus? Is there anything that gets more respect than Jesus? It's a great question to ask ourselves, isn't it? There's a picture in the Old Testament. I'll read it fairly quickly. Revelation chapter 5. This is after the return of Christ in heaven. 
and angels are worshiping Jesus. This is what they say. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them into a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. The, the older translation said myriads of angels, tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Can you imagine tens of thousands of angels declaring that to Jesus? Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. That's going to be quite a scene, isn't it? I think it's safe to say that most of us don't have a clue of the magnificence of Jesus. We don't live our lives in awe of Jesus. In previous generations, people feared him in an unhealthy way. That's the way I was brought up. I was, I was afraid of God. These days, it's more like he's our buddy. It's kind of our pal we hang out with. Jesus loves me, this I know. He's my friend. I, I've been afraid of lots of things. I used to be afraid of the police. It used to be when a, when a police car would pull up behind me. <laughs> Why? So I was guilty. <laughs> I used to be afraid of my pastor, and my parents' pastor in high school. I was afraid of him because I, I just knew it, whenever I was around him, I knew he he knows, he knows what I did last night. He knows I'm he knows I'm a sinner. I was afraid of him. I used to be afraid of Ginger's dad. He was about this tall, redheaded. He was a logger, you would have been afraid of him too. <laughs> he, had, he had fists that were like big clubs, and he was tough. By the time I knew him, he'd settled down quite a bit, but he would tell me stories. He almost bit a guy's nose off one time <laughs> in a fight. That makes me nervous. And he would tell stories about how he got in this fight with this guy. And, just, and when he was telling the story, I'd think, Ed, Ed, settle down. No, no, no. I was afraid he's going to come after me. <laughs> I've been afraid. So have you. There's a difference between fear, that kind of fear, and awe, respect, astonishment, amazement. To fear Jesus is not the kind of fear that makes us want to run away. It's the kind of awe and reverence and respect that would make us fall to our knees. 
that would say, Jesus, you ask me for anything and you've got it. I'll give you anything. I'll do anything. I'll go any place for you. Do we live in that kind of astonishment and awe and reverence of the Lord? Notice on the outline, when you understand the nature of Jesus, you will gladly follow him. Give him your total allegiance. And I want to talk to you this morning about why. Let's talk about awe. First of all, I am in awe of his astonishing love. We all know John 3.16. I remember as a, as a second grader, I memorized John 3.16 for the first time in Vacation Bible School. Anybody remember Vacation Bible School? They still have a few of them around. That was when you got out of school and then your mom didn't want you at home so she sent you to the church for a week <laughs> to memorize verses and so forth. And I remember my verse was John 3.16 and on Friday night, I don't remember what they call it, but they had some kind of a graduation on Friday night. And everybody did something. And my role in the graduation was to say John 3.16. Man, I worked hard on that verse all week. Sounds silly now, but worked hard on that verse. And I, and I, and I memorized it. I memorized it well. What amazes me about God's love is that now, not when I was in the second grade, but now I understand that I was on my way to destruction. I was on the way to living out the consequences of my sin, of my choices. And Jesus intervened. Imagine I, I talked about this a couple of times recently, and I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to grasp it. I don't think I have yet. Imagine what it cost Jesus to love the world. He left heaven. Imagine what he was experiencing in heaven. We got a little taste a minute ago. Imagine what he's experiencing in heaven, in his glory. He's been placed at the right hand of the Father. His name far above all names, every name that is named, no power stronger than his. He left that, came to earth, so people could spit on him. I can't really grasp that. Am I afraid of Jesus? I'm in awe of Jesus. Am I afraid of what he's going to do to me? No, I'm amazed at what he's done for me. that he would leave heaven, his glory and his majesty in heaven for you, so people could spit on him. This is one of my all-time favorites in the scripture. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, Let's think about how people love us. Here's where I am, and I'm, I'm moving toward getting better. So 
When do people start loving you? We think about love in terms of earning it, right? If they're good looking enough, if they're successful enough, if, uh, if I like them, if they do enough good things for me, they're earning my love. So at what point do I start loving them? At what point do you start loving people? Now I know we're in church and you guys, oh, I just love people, period. Baloney. They have to earn it. What do they have to accomplish? What do they have to do? What do they have to do for you before you embrace them? The way that God loves people is here's the beginning and there's perfection and he loves me right here. That's hard to grasp, isn't it? And the reason it's hard to grasp is because we don't love people that way. You have to earn my love. Now that's less so than it used to be, but we don't just automatically love everybody. We have to earn it. God loves us right here. And, the, and, the, and here's, here's the thing that I want you to grasp is if you think about God that way in terms of I have to earn his love. If I do enough good things, if I can just clean up my life enough, if I can just get rid of this and get rid of that, then you're living in fear all the time because what happens? You get so far and then you fail again. And then he doesn't love me anymore. I'm a failure. The difference is that Jesus loves us right here. He died for us right here. He left his majesty in heaven and came and loved me right here before I did anything. What's my response to that if I really understand it? I'll still do good things, I'll, but now it's done out of gratitude, out of thanks. Lord, I would do anything to serve you. I failed. I'm sorry, Lord. I, I know I failed, but no, I, you still love me. You don't have to earn it, but you live in it, in gratitude. So you can either earn God's love or you can accept God's love. Which way will you live your life? Just accept it. It's, it's beyond what we can really grasp because we don't love that way. Of course, the second part of that is that when we understand that God loves us here, that we don't have to earn it, we just accept it and live in it, and we'll, leave, we'll do anything, we'll go any place, we'll, we'll leave everything to follow him, then we love people that way, if we really understand that. Your life was a mess. You know, I, I thought about pointing out some people, but I, I won't. I'll just point at me, okay? I know some of you. I know most of you. You didn't earn God's love, but you can accept it. Haven't you spent most of your life trying to earn it? Just accept it. 
I'm in awe of the astonishing love of Jesus. Secondly, I'm in awe of his astonishing mercy. Mercy means that God gives you what you don't deserve. Not only do you not succeed, but you fail. You know, I'm living in God's love and now I failed. And when I fail, what does God do? He extends his mercy to me. How do we, how do we think about it? I failed. Oh, got to start all over again. I failed. No, he extends his mercy. Mercy means you deserve punishment, but he doesn't give it to you because he loves you and you've accepted his love. He gives you a new start. I've, most of you remember the story about my dad <clears throat> when, I was, uh, when I was a senior in high school. I was at home one day. And we lived in a trailer house, and uh, my dad was there, and I, my best friend was there, and I'm a smart aleck, smart mouth teenager. And, and so I, I was going to show off to my friend in front of my dad, and so I was going to take my dad down. And that lasted about that long. And I was on my knees. It embarrassed me. So I stood up. He had his glasses off because he was ready to go. He had his glasses off, and I looked at him, and I said, you beady-eyed old man. And then I walked out the door. I went across the street, and all of a sudden I just, gosh, what did I just say to my dad? So I walked back in the house, and when I opened the door, my dad was sitting on the piano bench, and he had his head down his hands like this. What did I deserve? What I deserved was for my dad to come over there and smack me. You don't talk to me that way. That's what I deserved. I said, Dad, I'm, I'm so sorry I said what I said. He said, he said, it's okay, son. It's fine. He didn't give me what I deserved. He was merciful. Your father is merciful. What do you deserve? I know what you deserve. I know what you deserve. I know what I deserve. But God is merciful. You were a dead man walking or a dead woman walking. You all know Allie, who is my administrative assistant, and Allie came from a very, very hard life. And she's, she's told our rooted group and some others, some of her story, and I just think, golly, golly, Lord, you're so good. Some of you were in the rooted group, and I know, I, you told your stories. You know what you deserve. But God gives you mercy. If you really understand what God wants me to do is accept his love, and then every step of the way, of course I'm going to fail at times, but when I do, he doesn't give me what I deserve. He's merciful. Let me, let me help you up. 
Thirdly, I'm in awe of his astonishing grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Notice he uses the word riches of his grace. And there's a verse about the riches of his mercy as well. That means he's not going to run out. He's not poor when it comes to grace. He's not poor when it comes to mercy. He's got more than enough. He's rich. And he's going to give us his grace. I owe Jesus a debt. When I look back on my life before Jesus, I really hurt some people. I really hurt some people. And I know what I know what I owe. I know what I deserve. But somehow in his grace, it's like I mean this is a probably a poor illustration, but it's it's like if you how many of you have ever gotten in credit card debt? A bunch of liars. <laughs> Most people have. Maybe maybe you haven't, but I, I did it one time. I got I got in so deep I didn't know what I was gonna do. You borrow money, you buy things you shouldn't buy, the debt accumulates and accumulates and accumulates and somebody comes along and says, your debt's paid. You owe for the things that you've done. But he paid your debt. It's, it's amazing to me that he has set me free, he's released me. My debt that weighed me down, he took it off of me and put it on himself. For the rest of my life, when I remember, when I remember that person I hurt and that Jesus paid my debt for that. Jesus, whoa, is there anything, is there anything you could ask me to do that I'd say no? Anything? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. See, we live in obedience to Jesus not because we fear him. We live in obedience to Jesus because we're so overwhelmed with gratitude. You paid my price. You didn't give me what I deserve. You could have done anything you wanted to to me, but you paid my debt. I'm so grateful. Anything, anything. So Peter said, he left everything and followed him. I'm overwhelmed at the astonishing grace of Jesus. You know, when you, how many of you had a, a gym class where there was a rope in the gym that went from the floor to the ceiling? Did you guys ever have that? When I was a kid, we had, we had this, we'd go to, go to PE class and there was, a, there was a rope about that big around. And it would go, had a knot on the bottom and go all the way to the ceiling. And it was a lot higher than the ceiling. And we, we take turns. The whole, the whole gym class was gathered around us and we, we'd take turns and you had to climb that rope without using your feet. Top of the gym. When, when do you think people cheered? When you, got to the top. when you got to the top, exactly. You know, if it, if it was a popular kid, start cheering right away. But it was somebody that you didn't like, you didn't want, you didn't care whether, you didn't think they were going to make it. You didn't do anything, you're just waiting for them to fail. 
See, the difference in us and Jesus is he starts cheering right down here. I don't want you to fail. I want you to succeed. I want you to make it. One of the things I love about the Special Olympics is here are these dear people who know, who know. Most people don't think they're worth anything. But that's one of the glimpses of the love of God that we get is because we always cheer for them. Last day I'm in awe of his astonishing forgiveness. Again, imagine the, the majesty that Jesus experienced in heaven and then he came to earth and was a baby and grew and then he came to the part that we're also familiar with about the cross. Uh, we don't like to see that movie that shows it so graphically, but they hit him with their fists. They, they whipped him with a lash that had glass and stone on the end of it that would cut his back, literally rip his flesh, flesh away. Put a crown of thorns on his head, laughed at him, put a robe on him, king, mocked him. And then there was this, this stump about that high, a little bit higher. There would have been several of them lined along the road where everybody passed by. And they take Jesus, put him on the ground, nail, nail him to this cross beam. And then they put him up on this cross and he would, his head would have been like right about here. It's not like the pictures you see where this beautiful hillside and there's a big cross way up there. He was right here where you could look him in the eyes. He's naked. He's been beaten within an inch of his life. They're spitting and mocking him, laughing at him. And his response was, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That same Jesus that Peter fell down on his face to is the one that was hanging on the cross. Deserving our awe and our reverence and our respect. Why did he do that? He did that to pay your price so that you could be forgiven. Here's the amazing part to me. It just doesn't seem right. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So here's, here's the amazing thing. Now, <coughs> Ginger has these moments. In fact, I think she's even said this to me. You're perfect. She always adds for me. Because I'm not perfect and neither are you. But the amazing thing is we're all guilty. Every one of us are guilty. This verse says you're, you're deceived if you think that you've not fallen short of God's glory. You, his perfection. You have. And this is the amazing thing. What does he want from us? He just wants us to admit it. I love you here. 
I will extend my grace to you every step along the way. I will extend my mercy to you every step along the way. What am I asking of you? To admit that I'm guilty. This, this story, I, I, I love this story about my daughter Kelly because you'll remember it, most of you, when she was, uh, she was in the second grade, third grade, Remember me telling the story about we had this box of chocolates? And uh, I noticed there was some, some chocolates missing out of the box. I know who took them. So I said, Ginger, I'll be right back. And I went upstairs, and Ke Kelly and Terry are in bed, covered up with their cover. And I said, uh, Kelly. I sat down on the bed right beside her. I just sat down beside her. I said, Kelly, gosh, there's some chocolates missing from the box of chocolates down there. Do you know anything about that? I said, now, now, Kelly, if you'll just admit it, I won't punish you. Do, do you want to rethink your answer? So you remember, I got up, went downstairs, heard the bathroom door shut, I ran back upstairs, and she's in the bathroom washing the chocolate off her hands. <laughs> Let me tell that story a little different way. I walk into the room, and I say, Kelly, gosh, we, we had that box of chocolates down there and there's some missing. Do you, do you know anything about that? Now, Kelly, listen to me. I just want you to admit, if you did it, and I'll forgive you. Do you want to change your story? Suppose she would have taken her little hands and brought them out from underneath the covers and gone like this, and there was chocolate all over her hands. What would the father do? The father would grab her hands and, si and say, Sweetheart, thank you for admitting that you took that chocolate. You understand that that was wrong, don't you? I do. Why don't you, why don't you get out of bed, sweetheart, and, and come with me? And I walk in the bathroom and, and I turn on the water and I hold her hands while I wash her hands. Wash the chocolate off of her hands. Sure love you, sweetheart. Sure love you. That's our father. He just asks that we'll admit it. Well, it just doesn't seem fair. They ought to pay for what they did. <coughs> That's the way we think. Not our Father. That's why I am in awe. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget that God loves me here. Sometimes I forget that God is merciful and doesn't give me what I deserve. And I feel like I have to pay the price. Sometimes I forget of His grace. Sometimes I forget that he paid my price. But when I remember, not only does it affect my relationship with him, but it affects my relationship with you. Because if we are overwhelmed and in awe of the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus, then we'll want to treat other people that same way. You're not to earn my love. 
So I want to ask you this morning, is there anybody that may, you didn't mean to, but somehow you feel like, they, f they feel like they have to earn your love. They're a little, they're a little hesitant. Now you, you can't do it for them, but if you begin to love them where they are, as they are, then there's the potential it will change their life. Is there anybody that you haven't forgiven? They deserve to pay. You don't know what they did. I know what I did. I know that I deserve to pay. But he paid for me. If there's anybody that you need to forgive, would you just let that go today? Out of gratitude to Jesus. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. I pray this morning that these would not just be words that would come out of my mouth, but they would be spirit and life that would come alive in us. And that, Lord, we would first of all grasp what you've done for us, and secondly, we could reach out and love other people in the same way. Maybe you'd bring somebody to our mind that we need to reach out to and embrace and love and forgive and be merciful toward. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who has never received the love of God. Maybe you've tried to earn his love. Maybe you've tried to earn his forgiveness, but you've never actually received it. 